I know you're working on the self-help book. And one of the things that I think we see so much is people looking at their own personal lives, which is, of course, important, Mm -hmm. um, but seeing all of politics through that lens. So this like I identify with Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders triggers me because he reminds me of a guy from the civil rights movement who would talk over me. Mm -hmm. And you guys don't understand. And I mean, it's this Mm -hmm. very like... Very privileged, I think, kind of projection of of someone's personal journey mm-hmm. onto politics, which like trumps everything else, kind of. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be about policy. And I'm not sure what my question is, but uh, just navigating that, the personal and political, I guess. I think there's more of that now, too, because of the way social media asks us to yeah. intimately narrate yeah. our lives and for totally. consumption. Like there's some there's some complicated and rough results of that, even though, of course, there's also interesting things that happen sometimes or, or useful or isolation-breaking things that happen. But yeah, I think right. this is a thing. I mean, one of the things that I'm interested in, the reason I'm working on this self-help book project is like, while uh, while I think in general, as a society, we, have a, we are overly individualist and we kind of like uh, have a hard time noticing the forest for the trees, you know, and that's true yeah. generally. So it's like, but... Hillary Clinton is a woman, so I must, you know, so she, she must, I must vote for her or whatever. That is uh, yeah. not helpful. Or because I right. once had a bad experience at X place, then there can't be any more complexity with it or whatever. But yeah, that's, you know, that's problematic. But I, but I also think and individualism shows up like everywhere and our misunderstandings of things, or I think especially like we yeah. think of violence as just like, or discrimination as just like, did Katie fire so-and-so for being right. you know, X quality instead of like, does a whole community of people not have access to clean air? Does a whole community of people have, you know, dirtier water and have, you know, less access to healthcare or whatever? Like we're, we're very bad at looking at population level. We're always looking for like one single bad guy, one culpable person. And that's part of a society that criminalizes. And it also means we, we don't come up with good solutions that actually reach like the big problems. But so that's all problematic. At the same time, we all our society is made out of our relationships, right? And our social movement groups are made out of our relationships and our school groups and our social groups and everything. And we treat each other very, very terribly because Mm -hmm. we are living in an incredibly violent society that's very hierarchical and we're all very terrified all the time of falling to the bottom of the hierarchy and we're all climbers in weird, messed up ways. And there's a, you know, we're cancelers, as you mentioned before, you know, social media has created a lot of disposability, but that disposability is fundamentally part of living in a prison society. So... I've been, you know, as I, I, while I, while I've been on this like journey of doing social movement work for the last couple of decades, I have also spent a lot of time in social movement organizations where we struggle with conflict that happens because people treat their dates really badly and because people ditch their friends a lot or mm. um, climb over each other or, you know, all the kind of right. ways we play out our stuff. So that's yeah. what I'm interested in is how, but on the other hand, you have a, a self-help industry and self-help literature that is totally depoliticized. So it's like, right. Katie, you're, you're overworking, you, you know, you're a workaholic, but it doesn't ask well, how yeah. do capitalism make that a survival strategy for you? And how can you find, try to find a balanced relationship to your work without, um, while, while recognizing that like, it's not like you're individually sick and twisted. It's actually that you live in a site that's distorted around this and you've been managing that and surviving it. And now you're trying to find a healthier way to be in it. Or like, it's not that you have a problem with relationships like alone. It's that there's a romance myth that's dominating that's sexist and right. is dominating everyone's lives and causes people to think things like stalking or, um, you know, or ghosting are like normal things to do to each other. And that like yeah. creates disruption in their communities and, and sometimes leads to violence. And, and so I think what I'm trying to do is blend a political analysis with 
the desire that I hope many of us have to actually heal the wounds from living in our society and look at like the behaviors we've adapted to that are not really helping move forward our own well-being and happiness, nor like the projects we're part of, whether that's like our job or like our social group or the movement organization we're in. And so that's what I've been thinking about a lot for, for many, many, many years. And I was kind of closeted about it because self-help is so cheesy, et cetera. Right. Um, but I spend so much time now that I'm like, you know, slightly elder in these movement spaces. I spend so much time <laughs> supporting and counseling people who are in really messed up conflicts inside their organizations um, or who are really isolated or various other sort of um, symptoms of the systems we live in. But they're, but that, you know, they need to do work within themselves to kind of heal their ability relationally so that they can be in their lives differently and be less either miserable or harming others or whatever. So that's, that's the work I'm trying to do is like translate some of like the better insights from the self-help realm into like a context that radicals can bear to read without puking, which is like right. most self-help books. Like it's just as if everybody's goal is to get like rich and married and skinny and they're going to help you get there in 30 days. And like all these things that just don't jive with like our values. When it comes down to it, most depression around the world is something that Megan McCain has to experience yeah, exactly, the suffering yeah. of. She's just an extremely empathetic person. Yeah, um, right. To, to herself, <laughs> yeah. To herself. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Another thing about Megan McCain I find so funny is she always does this thing where she's like demanding that Democrats try that Democrats have to appeal to her. Right. Again, like real she's narcissism. Like, she's like, but what about me? Like people like me who don't like Donald Trump, but right. like we still have a problem with open borders. Like, how are you going to appeal to me? Like, I love these people. Who think that they're just like entitled to right. the, the Democratic Party? Because the they don't the like mythical Meghan McCain uh, block. Yeah. So, No Olympics LA is a coalition of groups, essentially um, predominantly based in LA, but also across California. Um, and we also work with a number of groups around the world that are opposing the Olympics in different cities. And so, we started uh, in early 2017. Uh, a few of us met in. DSA LA's Housing and Homelessness Committee. Um, and we kind of, you know, you know, found a shared interest in opposing the Olympics from different angles. Um, so a few of us had been organizing with other groups in LA, um, including LA Can and um, the LA Tenants Union, and folks who were who were basically you know, resisting displacement and defending housing within the city were really concerned about the Olympic bid. And what that would mean uh, for the acceleration of gentrification, for increased policing um, and criminalization of homelessness. And folks were talking about it, but um, I don't know if you remember late 2016 and early 2017, but there was a lot of stuff going on politically, uh, a lot of like urgent, uh, you know, a lot of urgent stuff that people were responding to. And there was kind of this question of like, you know, how are we going to how are we going to form an organized opposition to the Olympics? Because opposition, just like as a sentiment, existed really broadly. It just wasn't organized. Um, and so, you know, a few of us who were in uh, in the Housing and Homelessness Committee of DSA saw, saw this opportunity as like, okay, this is sort of a rapidly growing new autonomous group of uh, of people who had previously Mostly, it was the the housing and homelessness committee was interesting because a lot of us had come from other groups, but there was there was sort of this like population of people who weren't, um, you know, like who were looking for sort of projects and campaigns, and so we thought that would be a good opportunity for us to kind of like take up the uh, the formal Olympic opposition. Yeah, that's the origin story. 